0: Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you that the new book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make, is going to be available this Hanukkah. It's been very, very widely received. we sent out about a 1,000 pre-publication copies to marriage therapists, people who work with young couples, and the response has been really, truly amazing. Please look for it at theshmuz.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, or your local Jewish bookstore. The Gomarin Sota tells us Amar Lad." forty days before the child is born, Basko Yotzas Vomeris, a Basco comes out and says, Basploni Laploni, the daughter of so and so, is destined to so and so. And this is a famous chazal, a famous concept, the concept of Bashert. That before a person is born, Hashem sets for that person the exact match, the perfect life partner, the individual with whom he or she will go through life in the best possible way. And while this is a very well-known concept, and something that's basic to our entire Emunah system, I'd like to ask the following question. In the United States of America, in 1901, the divorce rate was approximately 6%. That means every once in a while, but it means every once in a while, a couple got divorced. The vast majority of marriages were successful. If you look at the divorce rate now today, it's not 6%. Is it 50%? Some studies show that it's 50%. Some studies show that it's far higher Certain university studies show that the divorce rate today is probably closer to 67% because, you see, if you take the entire population, no matter how long they're married, you'll find that 50% or more will divorce. But if you take the new marriages and marriages today and project how likely it will be that they'll divorce, you'll find that the number is even higher. But whatever the number, whether it's 50% or 67%, Here is the question. Why is it that some hundred years ago or so, the vast majority of marriages continued to exist? And today, it's the opposite. And even of those 50% that remain married, what percentage of them are actually happily married? And really, here's the focal point of this question. If we understand that Hashem sets the daughter of so-and-so to so-and-so, Hashem is mezavik zivugim, Hashem makes the shidduch, here's the question, is it the pshat that Hashem used to be very good? Hm. Hashem used to be very good at the thing called making shidduch and finding the matches, but unfortunately, Nebuch Hashem has lost his touch. Somehow, I don't think so. Somehow, I find that very, very philosophically untenable and kvira so if in fact Hashem is still mezavik zivugim, the question is, what's happened? What's occurred? What are we doing differently that now the vast majority of marriages don't succeed? And even if you'll tell me that the Jewish nation is different than the rest of the nations, and even if it's true that Baruch Hashem we nowhere near 50%, you see such a tremendous increase in problems and issues and divorce in our day and age that you never saw before. And I have the opportunity to speak to a lot of people. I speak to people before they're married, after they're married, after the divorce, after the second marriage. And if I had a dollar, every time I've said to my wife the following line, it's a match made in heaven and they're living in Gehenna. I have seen it over and over and over in my own small circle of people that I come in to deal with. That so many of the divorces and so many of the unsuccessful marriages should not be that way. And if you speak to people, if you speak to Rabbanim, you speak to marriage therapists, you speak to people in the know, You'll quickly find that some large percentage, maybe 80% of the gittin that are written in our community should not be written. Is it true that every once in a while there's a mismatch? Yes. Is it true that for whatever which reason Hashem determined that it would be appropriate for this person to marry the, that person, even though it's not supposed to be a long-term marriage, maybe to have a child or whatever, and they're supposed to get divorced? Yes. There is such a concept, there's a Masachta Gitten, and if you tell me that there's a small percentage of marriages that don't succeed, I understand. But I'd like to share with you that the vast, vast majority of divorce that happens in our community should not be. There were matches that were properly made, but something happened between the Kedushin and thereafter that changed things around. And the focus of this series is to hope, hopefully deal with these issues and hopefully give some direction, some guidance. I wish I could say to you that there's one reason. I wish I could say that all the divorce and all the problems, it's one reason. And there's a very quick solution, just take this pill, read this safer and you're all cured. But unfortunately there isn't. <clears throat> there isn't one single reason And if you begin studying marriages, and if you begin studying the state of marriages today, what you'll find is there are many reasons, and that's part of what makes it so complicated. Some of these reasons we have no control over. Some of these reasons we do. And what I'd like to share with you in this series is, A, the differences between them, and effectively what we can change and what we could do differently. And let's deal with the first area. The first area of which we probably have no control whatsoever, over which we probably are not going to make a change in whatever is the following area. It happens in most marriages, usually pretty early on, either the man or the woman wakes up at some point and says these words, I made the biggest mistake in my life. I don't believe it. I married the wrong person. One. And I'd like to share with you that that happens in most marriages. Most marriages, either the Hussain or the Kala wakes up and says, I don't believe it. I made the biggest mistake in my life. And guess what? It's not true. It's not true at all. But almost every marriage has issues, has times, have things that they have to go through, adjustments and changes, and it's not uncommon at all for the man or the woman to say, oh my goodness, this is not what I bargained for, this is not what I signed up for. And what used to happen in the olden days was they had to figure it out the hard way. They had to make sure that they figured out the solution to the problem because there was no way out. In our day and age, there's an easy way out. You see, it's something called divorce. You get a get, go to rov, walk out. It used to be almost unheard of. Tremendous social stigmas prevented a person from getting a get. There used to be huge social pressures. Even more, most women cannot even begin to think of supporting themselves and their children. How could I possibly get a get? I don't have a job. I can't support my kids. So there used to be a tremendous, tremendous pressure from our society, from economic standpoint, that forced a couple to remain together. And while it wasn't always the solution to all of life's problems, and unfortunately there still remained many marriages that were not successful, but for many, many marriages they had to figure out the solution. And there are countless numbers of times when that alone would have made a huge difference because again, most marriages have a time when he or she usually both say something's wrong here, it's not going right. And if the door is open and you just, well, that was the start of marriage, now it's time for the second one, well, guess what? You never do the work you're supposed to do, never change the things that you're supposed to change, and a successful, beautiful marriage ends up becoming a failure. This area, we're not going to change. We're not going to change the social stigmas, we're not going to change the economic circumstances, And the bottom line is that there's always an out, and that's a big problem. Again, there are situations where a get is called for. There are situations when divorce is appropriate. But the vast majority of the time, that's not the reality. And the fact that there's an open door is a big, big problem. We're not going to change it, and this series certainly isn't going to change it, but it's important at least to be aware of. But that's what I call the first area that we're not going to have much effect on. The second area, which causes many, many problems in a marriage, that we're also not going to have much of an effect on, is a big picture issue. And I'll explain to you what that is. In Western civilization today, the most popular radio station is WIIFM. Everyone listens to it. Everyone listens to that channel. Everyone plugs in. Everyone listens to WIIFM. Now, WIIFM really are Rashi Tavos for what's in it for me. Everything in the society we live in screams out, me, me, me. It's about me. I'm the center of gravity. I'm the center of the world. What am I gaining from this? What is it doing for me? And strangely enough, even in the firm world, even well-educated people are brought up with that exact perspective. When you were a little kid, the only question was, what's the best school for you? Which would be the best environment? Which are the best friends? When it's time to choose a camp, what's the best camp for you? What will help you the most? When it's time to choose a high school, where would you flourish? What's best for you? When it's time for a yeshiva seminary, again, the central question that everything in your life revolved around was, what's best for you? And then you get married. And all of a sudden, there's another human being here. And it's no longer what's the best for me, it's what's the best for us. And there's another half of us who doesn't necessarily share the same interests, desires, inclinations that I do. There's another half of us that has different needs different requirements, looks at things differently, and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I have to change from me, 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 to us, and that is a very difficult transition. It's the type of transition that a person does over many, many years. One of the goals of a successful marriage is to teach us to be other-centered. And everyone walks in saying, no, I'm different, come on, I'm a mensch. You know, I'm a well-developed person, I'm a balmidos. Certainly a woman, young woman says, listen, I spent many years working on chesed. And it's true that to a large extent we learn... When it's easy, when it's convenient, when it's simple, to look out for the needs of others. But when you're in a marriage, in the thick and thin of things, and you really, really don't want to do something, and it really, really bothers you, but you have to do it for someone else, it's a very big learning curve, and it takes many years. Rabbi Shlomo remember and Harris, Reshiva, and Chavitz Chaim Kigon Hills, who was very helpful to me on developing some material in this series, told me an interesting line that when he deals, because unfortunately he deals with many young couples, when they are troubles, when there are issues, he said he says it all the time. He says to a young man or a young woman, do you know that your grandparents, your grandparents had an easier time dealing with deprivations of the Holocaust than you have with not having the latest iPad? There's a certain reality that not only are we self-centered, But we've had it so good from the time we were born, there was everything that we needed always there. We never suffered, never did without, never had to say, hmm, I'll somehow figure it out. And our big deal deprivations were on such minutia that when you get married and you have to say, I'm not going to do this because my spouse wants it to be otherwise for the first time in our adult life and probably in our life, We have to say, hmm, I'm not going to have something. I'm not going to do it my way. And this, again, is a big deal issue and causes many, many, many problems in a marriage. This is the kind of area that requires years and years of work because it's changing a middah, changing a perspective of life, changing the very nature of the person. Certainly it's a big, big focal point of marriage. A tremendous part of why Hashem gave us the institution of marriage but the reality is that we come in way behind the eight ball, we come in in a sort of unfortunate state that we're hugely hugely almost crippled by and this series is not going to change that, that's life that's growing, that's years and years of giving, you learn to become other centered, you learn to really care you learn to change but that's five years, ten years, twenty years, or more. It's important, and we'll touch on many of the different instances and circumstances, at least, so we could be aware. But again, this series is not going to suddenly change, and all of a sudden, I am a different human being, bingo, I'm other-centered. Again, we'll work on it, we'll touch on it, but this also is what I consider in the long-term areas and something that we're not going to solve very quickly. But it's area three and four, and hopefully this series will provide the most light and be the most effective in changing. Area number three is a very interesting one. There was a book published a number of years ago in America that sold 800,000 copies. It was considered a bestseller. It did very, very well, very popular. The title of the book was What Men Know About Women. And the most interesting part about the book was that when you opened the cover, it was blank. A hundred or so pages that were totally blank. It was a joke. It's what men know about women, blank book. They know nothing. Cute. And it sold almost a million copies. Why? Because most women got to the bookstore, saw this book, started laughing. (laughs) That's exactly what I want to tell my husband. That's exactly what I want to tell my potential husband. You know what he knows about me? Nothing. And the reality is that it's not just that women and men are different. And it's not just that men know nothing about women. Women happen to know nothing about men either. And one of the things that we're going to spend in Mitzvah Hashem a lot of time focusing on it, is this issue called gender differences, the difference between men and women, and how it functions, and how it manifests itself in a marriage. In this area, once you hear it, you say to yourself, Aha, I get it. It's obvious. It still takes time to put it into practice, because it's very easy to sort of forget it in the thick and thin in life, but it's something that once you get, once you understand, it's very, very easy to understand how it functions, and then to do the steps of changing either your current relationship, or your future relationship. And we're going to spend a lot of time on some obvious and some not-so-obvious gender differences, the way that men think, the way that women think, the way that women feel things, the way that men feel things, and focusing on what your attitude has to be to your spouse on both ends of the gender spectrum. And I think this area will be very fruitful, and should help a lot. Because many times, just understanding where your spouse comes from opens up new vistas and new levels of understanding. Because if you look at your spouse as somebody who's, I can't for the life of me figure her out. Or for the life of me, I can't understand him. It makes being married very difficult. In this third area, gender differences in which Hashem, <clears throat> we're going to focus on, spend a lot of time on. And I think this area will be very fruitful and hopefully very, very successful in improving Relationships, But it's a fourth area that I think is probably the most fruitful, most successful, and easiest to apply. And to illustrate that fourth area, I want you to imagine the following. Imagine that you have a car, and you're driving your car one day, and you start hearing some noises. Some sort of spluttering, some kind of noise from the engine. Now, you know you have a big trip coming up uh, next week. So you look concerned, so you're thinking, what should I do? Should I bring it to the mechanic or not? What do I do? Your mother happens to be there, and your mother says, listen, I've been driving for 35 years. Let me listen. I'll go with you for a drive, and I'll listen, and I'll tell you right away whether it's a serious problem or not, what to do. And in fact, your mother wants to come in the car with you. Now, hopefully, you'll very politely explain to your mother that I appreciate your help, but the fact that you drive, maybe even drive well, maybe even have driven for decades, doesn't help me because I have a problem under the hood and the fact that you know how to drive doesn't mean you don't know how to fix a car doesn't mean that you know what makes a car tick and I think this is a very big deal mistake that most people make most people assume listen institution of marriage is pretty straightforward you know you get married and then you are married you know listen you got to be a mensch you can't be a creep you can't be uh self-centered but once you're a mensch and once you're You know, a reasonable guy, a reasonable girl, everything goes well. And if not, don't worry about it, because there are lots of people available who can explain it to you. And I'd like to share with you that it is my firm belief that the vast majority of the world don't have a clue to how a marriage functions, what's needed, what are the tools. And if they claim to have theories, this is what you need, and this is what you have to have, ask them a very point-blank question. Why is it that you'll find some couples who both of them are sweet, nice, real mention, and they get divorced, fighting, tooth and nail, screaming, and you find other couples who are kind of rough around the edges, pretty self-centered, and yet they have successful marriages. Explain to me the why. And more than that, get a couple as they come into my office and try to tease apart what went wrong, what's going wrong, and what they should change. And I'd like to share with you that the vast majority of people who claim to know don't have a clue. And understanding a marriage is something that requires tremendous, tremendous A, Mesorah from Chazal, B, wisdom, and requires some very real applications in our current times. And one of the big problems is that everyone thinks that marriage is a pretty straightforward proposition. You just, you know, get married and everything's fine. And all they'll say the words marriage requires work, but most people don't even understand what that means. Work on what? What is the basis of this marriage? What are the fundamentals? What are the issues? What are the things that I should anticipate and I should expect? And you'll excuse me for extending this muscle one step forward. Let's assume for a moment that you got a car, and uh, it was a brand new car. Your uncle, a very wealthy person, says, to you know, listen, I want you to drive only the best, and your uncle hand you the keys to the car. Very nice, wonderful, only one problem. You never drove before, <laughs> and to be honest with you, you never really paid much attention to how to drive. Well, listen, not a problem, my uncle gave me the keys, you get behind the wheel of the car, start it, room, room, room. push on the gas, room makes a lot of noise and mm, doesn't go too far. So after a while, you kind of think about it, think about it, remember a little bit what other people did. So you put it into gear. and <laughs> You put it into gear and just smash into the garage wall. Oh, my goodness. The brakes on this thing are broken. Oh, whatever. All right, listen. <clears throat> you put it back and start it again. Put it into gear. Smash into the other wall. After a while of smashing, and finally you realize that you've got to steer a little bit better. So you steer a little bit better. You get onto the road, and you've got to make a left turn, but you're really going too, a little too fast. So what are you going to do? <laughs> you smash into a car. And all day long what you're doing is smashing into vehicles, smashing because it's the only way you know how to stop. No one taught you what the brake is. and No one taught you how to slow down. No one taught you how to drive this thing. And you reach one of two conclusions. Either this car is a lemon, it stinks, it just doesn't work, well, this whole thing called driving a car, the is just not what it's cut out to be. And I'd like to share with you that I believe that that is a very apt muscle for how most people get married. For marriage, listen, you get behind the wheel of a car, just get married, and everything is good. And all of a sudden, they hit some rough spots, and there's some things that happen, and she says, and he says, and she says, and he says, back and forth, and it's not what I expected, not what I anticipated. And because no one taught them how to drive, they don't know how to steer this vehicle, they don't know how to break. They don't know how to accelerate. And no one taught them the basics of what is required to be successfully married. And you could be very intelligent. And you could be a real balmitus. And you could be a very good person. But if you don't know the mechanics of this relationship, and you don't know how it functions and how it's supposed to function, well, guess what? You're going to have some pretty rough times. And a marriage is arguably... And not just arguably, but is the most complex, intricate weave of personalities, circumstances, and conditions. And if you don't learn the basics, the real underpinnings of it, you're going to have a rough time. And this, I believe, is the fourth area which I think in the series of Mitz will be the most fruitful and the most successful in. What we'll do in Mitz is lay out the very, very basics according to Chazal, his role and her role. What are the different tools that Hashem gave us for the marriage to be successful? And how do you use those tools? Understanding what are the big pitfalls that most people get into and why and how to avoid them. The very basics of understanding the roles, the functions, how the different parts operate and how to navigate is something that Hashem will lay out. And I believe that that is the easiest to apply because it doesn't take that much to learn how to drive a car. Oh, you have to practice, and you get better and better and better, and certainly five years' experience is much better than two weeks' experience. But at the end of the day, just knowing where the brake is, where the accelerator knowing how to steer, puts you leagues ahead. And I believe that most chasanim and kalas walk into a marriage without a clue, and then things start unraveling. And each one looks at the other as the cause of the problem. I have never once in my life had a couple come into my office where he or she said, It's my fault. Taka, it's my fault. I'm the one who's at fault. That's not at all what I hear. It's his fault, not her fault, his uh, huh, pointing fingers, him, huh, him, her. Huh. And each of them walks in with a very clear understanding why it's their spouse's problem. And by the way, they're right. They're right. Each of them has a taina, each of them has a claim, and each of them has something that the other is doing to them. Now the problem is, okay, where does it start? How do you change it? What's causing this? And Ritz Hashem, what we'll do in this series is lay out the basics, the mechanics, understanding how a relationship should function, what are the issues that will arise, and how to deal with them. The basis of the series is, I hope, because everything that I work on is Alpi Chazal, Alpi, <clears throat> what the Mesorah we have from <clears throat> our Chachamim. To a very real extent, it's based on a Mesorah I have from my Rebbe, the Roshiv Zatzal. It's something that he taught <clears throat> both in terms of being a mensch, being a human being, as a bentora, as a Bas Torah, functioning. And I have to be honest that a big part of this is something that's due to my wife, my partner in life. Who taught me many of these yesodas, I wasn't always the most apt student. But you learn a lot along the way. And as a sort of close to this introduction, I would like to focus on exactly that point. What we as Talmidim learned from our Rebbe, the Yeshiva Zetzal. Now, before I begin, the Yeshiva Zetzal didn't have any children. And as a result of that, his house was very open. And the Talmidim in the Yeshiva were B'nai bias. Many slept in the house, certainly were there regularly. And the concept of seeing a God of up front, really personal, and seeing a marriage in a very real way was something that we as Talmidim had a chance to do. When I got to the yeshiva, the Roshiva zatzal was already in his mid-60s. He lived till early 90s. And at that point already, the conduit to the yeshiva was the Rebetzin. You only could get, to, certainly an appointment in the early days was only through the Rebetzin, and on a regular basis, we as Talmidim got to see the interactions. I had a very close relationship with my Rebbe, the Zetal, and the Rebbe as well, because and I got a chance to see a marriage in a very real way. What I'd like to share with you is probably the single most romantic, appropriate comment I've ever heard human being say about marriage. It was at the leviath for the Rebbitzin. The reshiva was older than the Rebbitzin, and everyone knew that the Hashanah would pass away before the Rebbitzin. but in fact that's not what happened. And it was a real shock to everyone and certainly to the Hashanah Zetzal. And at the Hesped, the Hashanah Zetzal got up and said these words, everything we did, we did together. Everything we did. We went there to Stral. We did it together. We built the yeshiva. We did it together. Everything we did, we did together. I didn't have to worry about anything. My food, my health, my medicine. She worried about it more than I did. Everything we did, we did together. And he said that expression, that everything we did, we did together at least 12 times, maybe more. Over and over, everything we did, we did together. And then the yeshiva tzal ended the Hespid with these words. <clears throat> he said, I was maspid." My father, I said a eulogy over my father. I was bid my mother. But now I have to be bid my wife, and I can't. Saying a eulogy, saying a Hesbid on my wife is like saying a eulogy on myself. I can't do it, and he sat down. And with those words, he defined well what a Torah perspective on a marriage is, what a successful, beautiful marriage is supposed to be. A couple together, one unit, in harmony, in love. Working together. And that's what Hashem wants. <clears throat> that's what the unit of marriage is supposed to be. But you have to know the system, you have to know the mechanisms, you have to know what to expect, and you have to know <clears throat> how to navigate the waters as they come and the issues that come with them. May Kurdish Baruch Hu grant us the ability to <clears throat> focus on these things, to clarify them, and together, may we make a change. In the situation of Sean Baez in Christ's